0: Hey nerds, I have a very special treat for you today. As the name of the show suggests, I read to you what the court writes us. But sometimes there are things written to the court that are equally worth reading, especially when it comes to matters of great importance to the Republic. You might recall that Donald Trump was indicted on August 1st earlier this year on criminal charges that he conspired to overturn the results of the 2020 election. I read that indictment in full on this show if you're interested in hearing it. Now, Trump has since sought to have those charges dismissed on two grounds. One, that he cannot be prosecuted for conduct that was part of his responsibilities as president, and two, that he cannot be prosecuted in this particular case because he had already been impeached for the same conduct in 2021, and he was not convicted by the Senate. If you've been following the news since yesterday afternoon, you already know that Special Counsel Jack Smith petitioned the court for what is called a writ of certiorari before judgment. What this means is that Smith would like the Supreme Court to decide whether former President Trump can be tried for the crimes he was charged with earlier this year without waiting for the Federal Appeals Court to decide Trump's appeal regarding District Court Judge Tanya Chutkin's rejection of Trump's claim that he cannot be prosecuted for the crimes for which he was indicted. The trial was scheduled for March 4th of next year, But Trump's appeal put that date on hold, which is not ideal for an election year, considering Trump is a candidate for president. In addition to this petition, Smith also filed a motion to expedite. The Supreme Court responded quickly the very same day of Smith's filings, just yesterday, December 11th, stating that petitioner's motion to expedite consideration of the petition is granted, and respondent Trump is directed to file a response to the petition on or before 4 p.m. Eastern Time on Wednesday, December 20th, 2023. So here's what I'm going to do First, I'm going to read you the petition for writ of certiorari before judgment. Then I'm going to read you the motion for expedited briefing. And then after all of that is done, I'm going to read United States v. Nixon, a case from 1974 that I read about a year ago on the show, but I had to delete it because the quality of that episode was so bad. And I've been meaning to go back and reread it when it seemed relevant, which is now. I may also read another opinion in a case that I keep hearing misinformation about, And that case is Nixon v. Fitzgerald regarding events that took place during the Nixon administration. And I think you'll see how it is also related to current events. Now, of course, all of these things will be read over several episodes, starting with this one. So enough commentary. Let's get straight to the source document, which is why you guys come here in the first place. And now I give you United States of America petitioner v Donald J Trump on petition for a writ of certiorari before judgment filed December 11th 2023 Enjoy The Special Counsel on behalf of the United States respectfully petitions for a writ of certiorari before judgment to the United States Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit. Opinion Below The opinion and order of the District Court is not yet reported, but is available at 2023 WL 8359833. Jurisdiction the Judgment of the District Court was entered on December 1, 2023. Respondent filed a Notice of Appeal on December 7, 2023. The Court of Appeals' jurisdiction rests on 28 U.S.C. Section 1291. The jurisdiction of this Court is invoked under 28 U.S.C. 1254 and 2101E Constitutional Provisions Involved Relevant constitutional provisions are reprinted at Appendix 60A. Statement This case presents a fundamental question at the heart of our democracy whether a former president is absolutely immune from federal prosecution for crimes committed while in office or is constitutionally protected from federal prosecution when he has been impeached but not convicted before the criminal proceedings begin. The District Court rejected respondents' claims, correctly recognizing that former presidents are not above the law and are accountable for their violations of federal criminal law while in office. Respondent's appeal of the ruling, rejecting his immunity and related claims, however, suspends the trial of the charges against him, scheduled to begin on March 4, 2024. It is of imperative public importance that respondent's claims of immunity be resolved by this court and that respondent's trial proceed as promptly as possible if his claim of immunity is rejected. Respondent's claims are profoundly mistaken, as the district court held, but only this court can definitively resolve them. The court should grant a writ of certiorari before judgment to ensure that it can provide the expeditious resolution that this case warrants, just as it did in United States v. Nixon, 1974. 1. Respondent served as the President of the United States from January 2017 until January 2021. The indictment alleges that Respondent engaged in systematic and deliberate efforts to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election and prevent the lawful transfer of power to his successor. On August 1, 2023, a federal grand jury sitting in the District of Columbia charged respondent in a four-count indictment. Count 1, which charges a conspiracy to defraud the United States in violation of 18 U.S.C. 371, alleges that respondent, then a candidate seeking re-election to the presidency, conspired with, among others, several individuals outside the executive branch to overturn the legitimate results of the 2020 presidential election by using knowingly false claims of election fraud to obstruct the federal government function by which those results are collected, counted, and certified the indictment further alleges that respondent aimed at accomplishing the conspiracy's objectives in five ways. Using deceit toward state officials to subvert the legitimate election results in those states. Using deceit to organize fraudulent slates of electors in seven targeted states and cause them to send false certificates to Congress. Leveraging the Department of Justice to use deceit to have state officials replace the legitimate electoral slate with electors who would cast their votes for respondent. Attempting to enlist the Vice President to fraudulently alter the election results during the certification proceeding on January 6, 2021, and directing supporters to the Capitol to obstruct the proceeding. and. Exploiting the violence and chaos that transpired at the United States Capitol on January 6, 2021. Counts 2 and 3, which incorporate allegations from Count 1, charge conspiracy and substantive violations of 18 U.S.C. 1512 C2 for corruptly obstructing the certification of the presidential election results on January 6, 2021. Count 4, which likewise incorporates the allegations from Count 1, alleges that respondent conspired to violate one or more person's constitutional right to vote and have one's vote counted, in violation of 18 U.S.C., 241 The district court scheduled the trial to begin on March 4, 2024, with prospective jurors set to complete questionnaires on February 9, 2024. Central to its selection of a March 4 trial date was the district court's recognition of the public's right to a prompt and efficient resolution of this matter. 2 Respondent moved to dismiss the indictment on the grounds, inter alia, that he enjoys absolute immunity from criminal prosecution for acts taken within the outer perimeter of his official responsibilities, and that the indictment's allegations all fall within that scope. He also argued that double jeopardy principles and the impeachment judgment clause in the U.S. Constitution Article 1 Section 3, Clause 7, barred his prosecution. The government responded that a former president has no such absolute immunity from federal criminal prosecution, that even if such immunity existed, it would be narrower than the outer perimeter standard that defines a president's immunity from civil liability, that even if that standard applied, The indictment should not be dismissed because it alleges conduct falling outside the outer perimeter of a president's official responsibilities, and that respondent's double jeopardy argument lacks merit. The district court denied respondent's presidential immunity claim and his related double jeopardy claim the court concluded that the Constitution's text, structure, and history support the conclusion that respondent may be subject to federal investigation, indictment, prosecution, conviction, and punishment for any criminal acts undertaken while in office. Although the Constitution's text does not address presidential immunity, the court observed, that silence did not reflect an understanding that a former president possesses immunity from federal criminal prosecution for acts taken while in office. To the contrary, the court explained, the one constitutional provision that respondent invoked, the Impeachment Judgment Clause, U.S. Constitution Article I, Section 3, Clause 7, cut against his immunity argument. The Impeachment Judgment Clause provides, Judgment in cases of impeachment shall not extend further than to removal from office and disqualification to hold and enjoy any office of honor, trust, or profit under the United States. But the party convicted shall nevertheless be liable and subject to indictment, trial, judgment, and punishment, according to law. The court noted that the clause's first part limits the penalties of impeachment to removal and disqualification from office, and the second part clarifies that the party convicted may face later criminal prosecution, but that any further punishment may not come from the legislature. The District Court reasoned that several features of the Impeachment Judgment Clause undercut respondents' assertion that it confers any immunity from criminal prosecution. First, the term nevertheless clarified that the clause's first part addressing the penalties that the legislature could impose following impeachment does not bear on whether the party would also be subject to criminal prosecution. Second, materials written contemporaneously with the Constitution, such as those from Alexander Hamilton and James Wilson, did not reflect the view let alone a widespread consensus, as respondent contended, that the impeachment judgment clause renders former presidents immune unless they were impeached and convicted. Third, respondent's interpretation of the impeachment judgment clause relied on a negative implication that a president who is not convicted in an impeachment proceeding cannot face criminal prosecution. That reflected neither logic nor common sense. Finally, respondent's interpretation would produce the untenable anomaly that a former president would be immune if he committed a crime that was not treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors, for which impeachment is not available, committed the crime near the end of his presidency, or covered up the crime during the time of his presidency. Turning from text to structure, the district court reasoned that the public interest in a former president's criminal prosecution outweighs the theoretical asserted burdens such a prosecution entails. Concerns about chilling presidential conduct were minimal, the court noted, because whether to intentionally commit a federal crime should not be among the difficult decisions a president faces. In addition, the court stated, The possibility of vexatious post-presidency litigation was much reduced in the criminal context, given robust procedural safeguards attendant to federal criminal prosecutions that protect former presidents from harassment. By contrast, the public interest in fair and accurate judicial proceedings is at its height in the criminal setting. Holding a former president criminally accountable, the district court observed, is essential to fulfilling our constitutional promise ...of equal justice under the law, and furthers the public interest in an ongoing criminal prosecution. The District Court also found nothing in history to justify the absolute immunity that respondent sought. The Court discerned no evidence that the Founders understood the Constitution to bestow such immunity and the executive branch had expressly and repeatedly concluded that a former president was subject to criminal prosecution. President Ford's pardon of former President Nixon aimed to prevent the latter's potential criminal prosecution, demonstrating that respondents' view of presidential immunity from criminal liability stands at odds with that of his predecessors in the Oval Office. In addition, the district court noted that Fitzgerald v. Nixon had analogized a former president's immunity from civil liability to the similar protections provided to judges and prosecutors, but the court explained that notwithstanding their absolute civil immunity— Prosecutors and judges are subject to criminal prosecutions, as are other citizens. In sum, the District Court concluded that former presidents do not possess absolute federal criminal immunity for any acts committed while in office. The Court similarly rejected respondents' claim that his acquittal in impeachment proceedings afforded protection under double jeopardy principles, or the impeachment judgment clause against his criminal prosecution after leaving office. We've come to the end of part one of this petition, but don't worry, next episode we will pick up right where this episode left off. Until then, thanks for listening to What SCOTUS Wrote Us.